all about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying the show. Take the time out of your day to listen to new music and the new sound of radio. Tune in every day, all day, for the greatest hits, latest news, and community events that you can be a part of. MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Hi, honey. Oh, hi, honey. How did your meeting go? My meeting went great. I'll be home in a couple of hours. I can't wait to see you. I hope you're ready for Valentine's Day. I have a special dinner planned, the fireplace is lit, and I'll be wearing that outfit you like. Sounds perfect. And guess what? I just downloaded the latest edition of The Kiss Room, just for you. Oh, you are the best. I can't wait to curl up by the fire and listen. Well, you wanted the best, and you got it. Army, you wanted the best and you got it. I am Matt Porter and you are in the Kiss Room. It's the February issue of the Kiss Room and we're going to take you back in time. But first, we're going to start the show with a giant kiss. You're listening to the Kiss Room on Monco Radio with music and mind meet.
Kiss Army, we are back. And joining me again in the Kiss Room is musician, author, artist, designer, all-around powerful and attractive man, returning to the Kiss Room, Tony Man. Tony, welcome back to the Kiss Room. Hey, Matt. Great, great, to, uh, great to see you and hear you. And uh, hello, everybody in the Kiss Room. I, I, I miss, miss coming to Monco, though, I got to say. I'm thrilled that you can be back. I mean, you're one of the few people you've actually been in the Kiss Room in Monco Radio. You've actually performed with the Kiss Room house band. We have sat and had uh, some good meals together after the Kiss Room at one of our favorite spots. It's great. So, PJs. Uh, PJs. Shout out to all. Everybody's working hard down there. So I'm thrilled that you're back. I mean, obviously, um, for anybody who doesn't know you or hasn't listened to the latest edition of the Decibel Geek podcast, just kind of give my listeners a little bit of your background. Uh, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a musician. Um, I grew up in and around the rock scene, and uh, I'm friends with a lot of these people in the bands. I've performed with a lot of people in different bands that you may or may not have heard of, and uh, I'm an author. I helped write a book called uh, Lost Rockers with Stephen Blush and another one called New York Rock with Stephen Blush and uh, somewhat of a music historian and uh, helped make some documentaries. I made uh, costumes and clothes. I used to make uh, clothes for my own band in high school, which was called The Flying 69. Uh, I ended up making clothes for other New York bands like Degeneration, and then that led to me making clothes for Joey Ramone and other people like this. And uh, so I've just kind of been around the rock scene pretty much my whole life. And um, I, uh, it's fun to meet so many people that have such an interest in all this stuff. And because we can just all talk about it for hours. You know, it's funny because that was really how obviously we connected was just starting to talk about Kiss. And every time I talk to you, you come up with some kind of story where I go, I, that's it's another great story. And I think like even just for me, one of the things that's amazing is that you saw Kiss at the birth of Kiss, like Paul's still wearing the bandit makeup early Kiss. So you got to talk about that. I mean, you are we are about the same age, but somehow as a little kid, <laughs> you're on the scene, Tone. Well, yeah, um, my family was always encouraging my interest in music and art and all that. And uh, there was a lot to see here. Growing up, there was always many shows you could go to in a night. You could go something in the day and night. I've seen four shows in a day and night. Or whatnot, and I was been playing music since I was a little kid. So um, you know, it was good. Like whereas other people's parents, oh my folks wouldn't let me go to that show. My parents were bringing me to the show, <laughs> and like partying with the band and all this stuff. So I guess I was very lucky in that regard that my parents and uncles and family encouraged this kind of behavior, and uh, it was easy to meet people. Then it was free. There wasn't all these meet and greet. And if you just had the nerve to go up to someone and, you know, pretty, pretty good chance you got to meet them or talk to them or whatnot, especially if you're interested in them or something else they were interested in. So it was kind of like that. And uh, seeing Kiss in early, early days, like the show when they had the, the first time they ever used the light up Kiss sign, you know, Academy of Music and on the bill was Teenage Lust and, and Iggy Pop and Blue Easter Cult. And, you know, um, Bill got them on that show at the last minute. And uh, what happened is he surprised them with that kiss sign. And that's the first 
real real show they used it at and all the people were looking at it all night like what is that and uh it was kind of like uh even though there had been other glam and and, and uh performance rock like you know alice cooper or arthur brown or david bowie and ziggy still this was like a real big time rock show and then here comes these guys that look like giants compared to everybody else and kind of just like wiped the floor with everybody in a way and people were just there with their jaws open. I was just a little kid. And, uh, you know, I remember. You know, talk he, about that just for a second. Like you're in New York City as a kid. What were your parents doing that they were so cool about going to rock shows and taking you and letting you have all these experiences? What was the background in your family? Well, um, my mom was always interested in music and dance and art. And my dad was always interested in music. And he played a little bit of trumpet and a little bit of a little bit of a couple instruments here and there. My uncle played bass. Uh, I live downtown in Manhattan now. And uh, my uncle used to live right next door to where I live now when I was a kid. And in my building, like Marlon Brando used to live in my building and Leonard Cohen used to live in this building back then. So this was a different neighborhood then in Manhattan. It was all different. It's a different world now. But my parents were all into like checking out music live and I was into it, so they just encouraged me. And I was already playing. I was already playing music, like, in, you know, as a preteen and trying to form bands and stuff like that. And uh, it was kind of hard. I'd always usually have to play with people older than me. But it was funny because by the time I got in high school, I'd be taking kids to, like, Parliament Funkadelic for the first time. And they're like, what is this? I go, you don't even know. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get calls later from their parents, like, why are you taking my son to this crazy show? <laughs> you know, but uh, my parents were very open-minded. Uh, uh, my dad's still around. My mom passed away a few years ago. But, you know, we would be at some, like, summer, like a little summer trip uh, up at Lake George or somewhere, go away for the summer, try to get out of the city. And my mom would hear, like, oh, this band's playing on the radio. And, like, we just go. So uh, it was kind of like open-minded and um, very supportive. So that I was into it, you know, was was uh, all they needed to know. And they okay, we're going to go. And uh, sometimes they wouldn't go and they just bring me there and drop me off. Other times they'd go in with me. Like this is a thing. Uh, when I was a kid, the drinking age here and everywhere was 18. But then by the time I got to be 18, the drinking age changed to 19. <laughs> and then it changed to 20. And it, like, I mean, 21 rather, 18, 19, 21. But it didn't matter. Nobody really checked or ID'd or there was no rules. It was like lawlessness, you know, when I was a kid. You could go in a bar, club, nobody even cared. And, you know, you could go in a bar, club like Max's or uh, I would try to see bands in a big venue if I could. But I did see bands in the Fillmore East and uh, other like really legendary places that aren't there anymore. And I'm glad uh, they were here when I was a kid. I wish New York would preserve more of their history. There was a lot of great places like Mercer Art Center, Bottom Line, all these. Palladium is another one. Uh, and so, okay, so here's the thing. The Academy of Music was on 14th Street. That's where I saw that first Kiss show. But later, years later, in 1980, Eric Carr played his first show at that same venue. But it was they changed the name to the Palladium then. And I knew the owner of the Palladium, Jerry Brandt, and my uncle had some business with those people or whatever. So we could always go to shows there. I've always been pretty lucky at getting into shows for free 
or meeting the band or knowing someone in the crew or just walking in the door, whatever. Go early at soundcheck and just go in. And um, like I didn't see when they played at the Fillmore East, but I did go in when the doors were open and look around and see them doing all that work and everything. But we weren't like invited. I couldn't I didn't go to it. But um, it was known about like people were talking about it because the Fillmore East was closed. It wasn't even called that really anymore when Kiss played there. Like the Fillmore East closed a couple of years before that, but they resurrected it to like use it for a rehearsal for the New Year's Eve show. And then their their first album wasn't even out yet. Okay. And then that's so, incredible. Yeah. So Kiss was talked about in the city because they played another show on Bleecker Street with uh, the Brats. Actually, they were at the bottom of the bill. They were opening for the Brats, who we're going to hear later. And for uh, uh, Wayne County, who became Jane County, who I, I played music with and recorded with. And um, uh, uh, Wayne, Jane County was the first transgender rock and roller ever. And uh, somebody who was uh, uh, affiliated with David Bowie's main man company and all that and was an actress in Warhol plays and all this. So a lot of music here came out of uh, Andy Warhol. Like there wasn't any clubs here when I was really young. There was like uh, hotels. People would play like at the Diplomat Hotel, which was an old like bombed out hotel that was kind of like, you know, falling apart, to be honest. And there was the Mercer Art Center downtown, which was in the back of a, of a hotel on Broadway. And uh, that's where like New York Dolls and other bands got started. Like if you've ever seen New York Dolls Halloween and you see that first time Ace ever had his makeup, Kiss makeup on was when he went to see the Dolls at, at uh, Waldorf Astoria, right? So he was a big Dolls fan. And these guys would go see uh, the Dolls. Kiss, everyone involved in Kiss was a music fan also, besides being a musician. And they would go check out the competition. They'd see New York Dolls was the thing in that era. They were the top. Even though they didn't even have a record deal at first, they were like the thing to be. And, uh, I mean, these guys opened for the faces at Wembley Stadium before they even had a record deal the New York Dolls. They were electrifying and just cool and the happening thing. It, it's before the internet and before all we had was rock scene magazine in New York. Like if you were in rock scene, you were like a superstar, really. Everybody knew who you were. That was the thing to see rock scene. It made, you know, national acts were in hip parader and all those and circus. We're all great too. But if you were in rock scene, it was more of a local based thing. So a lot of the photographers, Bob Gruen, Lee Black Childers and all these people, they worked for these magazines, you know, to make a living besides the bands at the time. they A lot of them took pictures for 16 Magazine, too, you know. So it all kind of runs together. And finally, Kiss got in all those magazines and on the cover right. of all those magazines. <laughs> so, um, But, but uh, Kiss was, like, starting playing in New York. People were talking about him because um, – the Dolls were the thing, and the Brats were another band that was kind of like the Dolls, and so was um, Harlots of 42nd Street was another band, like raunchy, glitter, trashy rock, you know, that kind of vibe, right? And like street rock or whatever before it was called, before it was named, you know? And uh, so uh, once uh, these guys played with Kiss, all of a sudden Kiss came out very polished with lots of gear. They were like seven feet tall. They had pyro, they all, you know, this whole professional, and they could sing. A lot of rock and roll bands can't sing very good. 
and Kiss rehearsed and they could they could sing together and everything. And each guy was kind of eventually each guy became somewhat of a lead singer, very much like the Beatles, like, you know, so um, Kiss was very much talked about on the street and they were in rock scene saying that they were up, up and coming band. But they played like their first shows out in Queens, at, you know, Coventry in these places. And, you know, I didn't go to those shows or the Daisy. I didn't go to those shows like with Twisted Sister and all that. I heard about it, but I was very young then. But when they were playing in Manhattan, forget it. I was definitely going. And then, oh, they were at Academy of Music at the last minute. It was for New Year's Eve. And luckily we went. And uh, it was amazing because it was like Teenage Lust who had two of the guys who were in David Peel and Lower East Side. We're going to hear them something, something by them uh, later. And um, these two of the guys from David Peel and Lower East Side, who was like a guy who sang about marijuana a lot and was friends with David Peel was playing here in the park, not even in any clubs. And John Lennon came and joined his band, okay? <laughs> so this is like a, a trip and a half, you know? Like, this is really like New York. Like, people wanting to be underground and bohemian. Well, John Lennon came here when he left the Beatles, and he moved here, and he he became a New Yorker. And unfortunately, he died in New York. But he became a New Yorker. Like, a lot of these British guys got tax exiled in the 70s. And so they came here to get away from the tax money and so they could create and get in a new scene. A lot of them came here. Some people came to L.A. But that John Lennon came here. He joined David Peel's band. It was called The Lower East Side. It was David Peel, Billy Joe White, and uh, Harold Black. And then later, Billy Joe and Harold made their own band, Teenage Lust. That was one of the bands on the bill, the New Year's Eve. Another band was Blue Oyster Cult, which was a huge New York and international band. We all know Godzilla and all these songs, but this is a little earlier when they had like Cities on Flame and these kind of songs, like the heavy rock. And, and uh, another band on the bill was the Stooges with Iggy Pop, which was a rock phenomenon and still to this day is still rocking. And that was their raw power Stooges. This is a really coveted lineup of the Stooges. So this is a big bill and Kiss jumps in there and they, they held their own. Like they just, People were like, what is going on here already? So the thing with Kiss at that show, they just tried to make an impression on the crowd. And Gene, I remember Gene throwing fireballs, and he hit this kid <laughs> in the face with a fireball. And he's lucky that kid liked them and didn't sue them. Like Bill O'Coin immediately set, gave him you know, a bunch of signed things from the band and introduced him to the band. And then he was just happy that to see them. Like There was a few kids there, but I think I was the youngest kid at that show. And then uh, another thing that happened is Gene's hair caught on fire at that show. And Sean Delaney had a bucket on stage full of water with a towel in it and ran over and, pu and put it out. And he later told uh, me and he told me and Bob Gruen that he uh, he had a dream that Gene's hair was going to catch on fire. So he was ready with the water and he like went and took this like soaking towel and put out Gene's hair. People didn't even know what was going on. They thought it was just part of the act. Like, really? But that show, Paul had the, the bandit makeup. He had had the star before, but uh, Neil Bogart tried to convince him to get away for some reason. I don't know why, to be somehow more macho. I don't know what the angle was. But <laughs> I saw him two shows at the Academy of Music where he, wore, um, where he wore the makeup. And one of them was that show, and another one was, like, the next spring in 74. So I actually saw him, I'm glad, before the album came out. 
and they were pretty raw and rocking. I thought they were very exciting. And uh, oh, another thing at that show was uh, Kiss is big guys, and they were wearing these big boots. They were like giants, almost like football players com- compared to Blue Oyster Cult. Okay, and Blue Oyster Cult, the littler guys, you know, but they're rocking, cool band. But Blue Oyster Cult had this intro where they would come out. On your feet or on your knees, you dog. This is Blue Oyster Cult. Kind of like almost an S&M vibe or something. Like just yelling at the crowd, berating them, and getting the crowd worked up. Meanwhile, Kiss had, you know, put your two lips together and kiss. And like it was just, it was <laughs> lame. I mean, it wasn't, it just wasn't delivered with force. So after that show, really, somewhere like JR started thinking about, we need a better battle cry. So that's when there was a popular Toyota commercial you know, and he took some of that jingle to make, you know, you wanted the best, you got it. JR was inspired by Blue Oyster Cult to come up with something better, and he did. He came up with the great thing we all know and love. So it was cool to see all this happen at the time and uh, kind of try to take it in, but it was kind of a blur when I was a kid. But I remember some parts of it vividly, you know, like the kiss, the kiss sign then was these bright, hot lights. And it just burned into your eyes, like when you're looking at the sun, and then when you look away, you can still see it. That kind of <laughs> well, you know, and even the reason why we started off the show with Deuce was I put you on the spot and said, "Okay, pick your favorite Kiss song," which is almost impossible to do. Yeah, but with but I finally well, this rang- minute, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, say, I wrangled you around to Deuce, and we were talking about the fact that that first album still has such power. And just reminds you, really, the ground floor of Kiss is so strong. That first oh, yeah. album, half the album are songs that they still do. And yeah. it's, I mean, when you think about, that's why I think it's so fascinating. You were seeing them even before that came out. And that first album is perfect. I mean, there's really, it's just a great album. Yeah, and it's rock and roll. You know, they used to try to call themselves Thunder Rock and all this other stuff. You know, um, when I was a kid, everything on the radio was just like music, like rock. It didn't have all these terms. Like on the same station, back to back, you could hear Black Sabbath, Tiny Tim, Frank Sinatra, whatever. <laughs> like you, I mean, you almost never heard Kiss on the radio, even in New York. Like Kiss was not on the radio, even in New York. They would ha- Alison Steele would have Kiss interview on the radio, but then like not even play them. Like it was so weird. And uh, anyway... But the thing is that uh, all this kind of music, what that was a band. Kiss was a band right then trying to make it happy to be on that bill, you know, and probably like, whoa, we better step it up. Like we're playing with Blue Oyster Cult and with, you know, Iggy Pop. Like these are living legends even then. Never mind, you know, never mind now. But as Kiss went on and as a lot of bands go on, they got fame, money, whatever, and look, they become like into the solo albums and each guy, you know, he writes it, Paul writes Shandy and like nobody else in the band even played on it. The, you know, the, Tom Harper, the roadie played bass on it and, and Holly Knight and Anton Fig, ladies and gentlemen, kiss, like he says in the book, in his book, you know, it became like, this is my song. I'm doing it my way. Everybody just wants their own way after a while. When at the beginning, everybody was a little more flexible. They were young, hungry, whatever you want to say. They were out for blood, like to, to kick ass when they went on stage. They, you know, they didn't stand still for a second, 
you know, and Sean used to make them rehearse. Sean Delaney used to make them rehearse. They'd videotape their rehearsals and they'd watch and say like, look, you're just standing there and you'd be on their case, you know, to do everything. He dyed all their hair black and he used to live on 10th Street, not far from where I live. And Albert from Blue Oyster Cult used to live on 10th Street. And, and so all these people actually live near each other. And it's really weird. They might not have even known that. But Sean, <laughs> Sean was had his own music and had his own dreams. And, you know, later had Scat Brothers and all this with Richie Fontana. And, you know, he's talented. He helped write Rocket Ride. He helped write some of these songs with Kiss. He, he did a lot more than they say, okay? He did a lot. He motivated them. Him and Bill saw you know, an amazing future for this band and they wanted to do everything to help them get there. So you think of Kiss coming here, got very far on their own. They were playing hotels and everything and playing these like dumpy bars in Queens or wherever on their own as a local band. But once they got these people behind them, that you got to think all of a sudden they had a record company, manager, publicity, everything right there, creative team behind them. That's what, that really helped them get to where they got if they didn't have that we might not be talking today you know compared to other bands which is like in in our new york rock book okay um if you ever read that there's a you know a chapter about glitter and the early days of glitter and glam and pre-kiss and when kiss came out and interviews with some of these people you've only heard name checked you know you only heard about you know street punk luger harlots of 42nd street Magic Tramps, you know, these bands were around the scene. But in this in this book, we actually interviewed some of these people and you got to hear their stories. But I remember, for instance, at that New Year's Eve show, um, Ivan Kral was there, who was later, you know, in Magic Tramps. He was in Patti Smith. But, he, you know, uh, the thing about Ivan is like he was in Luger also. So he opened for Kiss at one point. But he was there and he filmed some of that show. And there is footage he filmed of them, a little black and white footage that Ivan filmed. So, mm. you know, it was like people took note when they came out. And there was people that were jealous and whatever. And, you know, that's not rock. Or actually, some people were kind of like, oh, glam is over and washed up. You know, but really they brought it with such a force that it just, uh, it kind of got beyond music at some point. You know, they were just you know like feeling like a movement. The uh, the great thing is, I mean, obviously, having read the New York Rock book, it is amazing that you were able to track down people that you know in your regular life and get these quotes. And I think really what might be fun to do is let's play some tracks by some of these bands that you've been kind of name-checking throughout. It's great. bands that I think all KISS fans know, usually because they see the logo on the same flyer as the early KISS flyers. You know, you went through a, you went through a bunch of them. And I'm going to pick a song right now to go to, which is called Come On Up by the planets let's take a listen to it then we'll talk about it you're in the kiss room on Mako radio where music and minds meet
And we're back in the Kiss Room. I'm talking to the great Tony Mann. That, of course, was Come On Up by the Planets. Kiss fans, you probably recognize the name because you've seen it on different Kiss original flyers. But, Tony, what can you tell people about the Planets? Okay, uh, the Planets is a New York band. Uh, it's led by Binky Phillips, the amazing guitar player. And the Planets had a few incarnations. They were a multiracial band at one point, kind of like a who on the who tip of things. And very energetic, exciting, upbeat rock. And uh, Binky's still a great guitar player. He still plays. I mean, until this virus, whatever, I've seen him play down the street from here many times. He's still a great musician. Binky went to high school with Paul Stanley. So he was an early friend. You know, so this is obviously before Paul got big time into music. And so, uh, you know, uh, they've been friends and they've remained friends. And, uh, I, you know, it's like, They've been pretty tight, and then they they both thought they were going to be super famous at one point. It, early on, it seemed like really the Planets might even get famous before Kiss. So it's that type of thing. They're playing at the Diplomat Hotel, which is like a dumpy old hotel with holes in the floor, and you know, rent rooms by the hour kind of situation. You know, like very seedy Times Square Hotel in the 70s when you're taking your life in your hands to even go out, whatever. <laughs> And then you're going out looking like a freak, so whatever. Sometimes the freakier you look, the less people give you a hard time. Um, but Binky is a really great guitar player, very talented. And and uh, they were being very much courted by Warner Brothers. But another band came out at the time, it, you know, got signed instead of them, Van Halen. 
Wow. Well, I mean, Eddie Van Halen revolutionized guitar. We all know that. And their connection to Kiss as well. But but Binky was on his way to being like, they asked him to kind of play with in the band at one point. But he kind of was like, well, you know, I have my band, you know. So, it, it you know, everybody was hoping the best for him to be a superstar. And he's a great musician. So there's that. And he also would go jam with with Paul on like a love gun in the studio. They would like work on the demos or something like this. So there's been many times where Binky had gone and like jam with them. And you can read like Binky put his book online. It's called uh, uh, My Life in the Ghost of Planets. So you can go online and get that book and uh, read about all Binky's stories of rock and roll. But there was a band that was, you know, he was friends with Kiss in the early days before they were stars. And, you know, He's still going rocking, so it's a very cool guy. That's fantastic. Now, another band that I know a lot of people will know the name is The Brats. What do you remember of The Brats? Okay, The Brats is a cool rock and roll band. A lot of guys from Queens, other boroughs involved. A few different lineups. They had some singles. Uh, The singer, Keith West, had a record store in Queens called Music Box. So The Brats were these cool-looking guys that, almost like the dolls, like really cool rock and roll style. A, a lot of the bands here took their influence from uh, the British bands like T-Rex and these bands that are sweet and all those bands that look so glam and cool. But, you know, these guys are from Queens, it's their own version of it, you know. But the Brats were like a rock and roll band, you know, like hard rock, but, you know, like the Stones or other bands influencing them. They also had a pop influence, you know, like the Bay City Rollers and these kind of bands influence. So they had a pop sensibility. Uh, Keith West, the Brats is still performing to this day. A couple guys in the Brats were key guys early on was Rick Rivets and Keith West. Rick Rivets is a guitar player, and he was also in a very early incarnation of New York Dolls that it's now called Actress, if you get a CD, but it didn't really have a name then. This is like when Sylvain was away in England. Uh, these guys started the Dolls without him, and then when he came back, he got back in and they left. So the Brats was a cool rockin' band. They look cool. They have great songs. They're an entertaining rock band. Uh, one of the guys who was in the Brats was Scott Sheets, who later went on to write songs for Pat Benatar, like Fire and Ice. And so all really good musicians. But here's the thing with the Brats. They, they could have, they had an offer for Sire Records, okay? And um, Sire Records put out uh, the Ramones and other people early on. And they had an offer for like maybe 10 grand to put out. We'll give you 10 grand to put out your album. Well, the Ramones' first album didn't even, I don't think, cost that much. But at the time, uh, Keith told me, well, this is when Kiss started to get big, so they thought they had to have some big stage show all of a sudden. So they asked for a crazy amount of money, like two hundred grand or something, and Sire Records said, forget it. And they, they should have really just done their record and put it out. So they, they don't have that many official releases. They have a couple singles, and there is stuff that came out. But re- unfortunately, like, they didn't have a big release at the time with something behind it like Kiss did. And so, but Keith West very much influenced Kiss because he had Music Box record store in Queens and all the rock and rollers shopped there, guys from the Dolls, Kiss, everything. Because a lot of rock and rollers here come from Queens. And as you know, Gene and Paul lived there. And so Paul Stanley would say, I have a new band. We need a gig in the city. And, you know, Keith would say, open for us. We're playing at um, Bleecker Street. You know, you can be at the bottom of the bill, Kiss, and, and then the Brats, and then Wayne County. And then so they, that's a famous show. That's the, you know, the first time they played in the city, really. 
And um, the thing is that uh, Kiss developed their makeup out in Queens and these other boroughs and then came back and played here. By the time I saw them, they were pretty much what they know them to, as today, except Paul had the bandit makeup. And then a couple of shows later, I saw him and then he had the star again. So you know what we're going to take? Why don't we take a listen to the Brats? We're taking you on a tour of early 70s New York City with Tony Mann. And you're in the Kiss Room on Mako Radio where music and minds meet.
And we are back here in the Kiss Room. That was, of course, the Brats. We're talking to Tony Mann about early New York City music scene. Of course, the birth of the scene with where Kiss came from. Tony, that was a great song. And you had something more to add about that. Okay, so yeah. Like I said, the Brats didn't have too many official releases. But that song, First Rock Star on the Moon, which is kind of a Kiss-like song, if you think about it, is, um, you know, rock and roll type vibe. And... Um, that was on a Max's Kansas City compilation. And so that was kind of a big deal when that came out to be on any vinyl at the time. Now you can record at home and all this. It was people were living to get their music recorded and out to the public in this, you know, day and age. And it was a big thrill. Oh wow, there's a brats thing on here. That's great. And a there's a there's a um there's a Wayne County single on here or whatever. So it was a big deal. And Max's Kansas City was a big deal. It was a status, like, cool rock and roll place where all kinds of superstars and celebrities hung out, like Andy Warhol, New York Dolls, David Bowie, you know, famous artists, the Kinks, Keith Moon. Anybody who was around would hang out at Max's. It was a, across the little park from Andy Warhol's factory at the time. So there was a lot of was cool factor involved. And Kiss didn't really make the scene. There wasn't much of a club scene or any clubs before New York Dolls. Like I said, these people playing dumpy old hotels that were falling apart. And Mercer Art Center, the whole building fell down. There's nothing like <laughs> they killed. So, you know, then they go up to Times Square Diplomat Hotel, which is another dump. They're lucky that didn't fall down when they were there. But just the fact that these guys were out there doing it was a big deal. And uh, that being on that Max's compilation was cool. But Kiss was kind of excluded from the from the Maxis scene. It was kind of like a little bit of snobbed out of it, if you know what I mean. Sure. Like, you know, a lot of musos and artistes and all this precious kind of people. And Kiss is thought of as like blue collar or whatever, whatever, however you want to term it. Not exactly getting respect, but just having fun. And so it's a different thing. And Kiss wasn't part of the local scene for very long. And then they were just off. And nobody could catch them. And like New York Dolls say, you know, the New York Dolls were up and coming. And then Aerosmith and Kiss just like broke away and like became these international like megastars. And the Dolls are very much an important and pioneering band, but didn't, you know, generate the kind of sales or whatever you want, however you want to call it. But to me, New York Dolls was always like the band everybody wanted to be when I was a little kid. And it was, you could love it as a kid. It was fun. You know, it was just fun music. And girls liked it. Everybody looked cool. Uh, it wasn't elitist, though. It was, like, very inclusive kind of vibe. So um, that's what kind of one thing that very much impacted Kiss. And Kiss, you've seen those original photos of them where they tried to kind of look like the dolls and be like the dolls and wear makeup. And it didn't really work because they were bigger guys. And then they went to see Alice Cooper and said, hey, we can be four Alice Coopers. And there's other bands around the New York scene, like the Fast, that wore makeup that you might think of as like Kiss makeup, a little bit here and there, but not on a regular basis. So, You know, one story I know that, that I want you to share was back uh, a month ago when Sylvain Sylvain had passed away. You mentioned that you were friends with him, but you oh, also yeah. told me a very funny story about how am I going to know when I'm famous? Oh, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, Kiss is coming up with... New York Dolls on these little tours. And sometimes it would be Kiss, New York Dolls, sometimes Aerosmith and Silverhead, all these kind of bands, right? 
they're all none of them are really famous at the time. They're just coming up. And um, New York Dolls, everybody kind of wanted to be. Everyone thought they were going to be the biggest band in the world, you know, at the time. Okay, so Paul Stanley said to Sylvain, um, "How am I going to know when I made it when I'm famous?" And uh, Sylvain said, "Well, Alice Cooper is the king, which at the time he was. Alice Cooper was the biggest right then, and uh, Alice Cooper is the king. So when someone comes up to you and said asks you for Alice Cooper's autograph, don't say you're not Alice Cooper. Just sign it and say thank you." And you made their day, and now you're famous, okay? So, okay, so Paul just looked at him kind of dumbfounded, like, okay. Then they're in uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport and uh, New York Dolls, and Paul comes running up to him, huffing and puffing, and, hey, I just, I'm famous. I just signed my first Alice Cooper autograph. <laughs> oh, that's such a great story. I was cracking up when you were telling me that. The, yeah, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's true because the thing is that, like, uh, these guys come from kind of not too different backgrounds. Like Gene Simmons is from Israel, right? Sylvain Sylvain was from Cairo, Egypt. Okay. So these guys coming from like similar places and similar backgrounds, and they like a lot of the same bands. Uh, the dolls have kind of a little bit more bluesy roots to their music and a kiss a little bit, a little bit younger and more like even more British invasion effect of their music. So Syl Sylvain Sylvain was, um, as a kid, was making clothes. And I made clothes and costumes for like movies like Zoolander and whatever. I made clothes for Joey Ramone and all kinds of bands, my band. And um, so we talked about that kind of thing. But Sylvain had a company when he was a teenager called Truth and Soul with the original drummer of the Dolls, Billy Mercia, who was from Columbia, actually. So um, they had a company called Truth and Soul. And they were up in Woodstock and they had a showroom there. They had their little shop and they sold, they sold it before the dolls. They got a bunch of money and uh, Sylvain got to meet uh, then um, Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood when he was making clothes as a kid. He was still a teenager. And then he went to England for a while and tried some stuff there. And um, when he came back, that's when they already had started the dolls without him. Uh, Rick Rivets and Johnny Thunders and Billy. And he said, like, that was my band, and I want to be called the New York Dolls, not just the Dolls. So he, he ended up joining them again. They were the New, the New York Dolls. They got David Johansson. And uh, Rick Rivets left and went and made the Brats and these other bands. And Sylvain got the name of that from a place here in Manhattan, the New York Doll Hospital, which was a place you would take your doll if you broke it. They'd fix it. <laughs> That's where he got they – they used to rehearse – in a bicycle shop called Rusty Beanies. So there's this guy, Rusty Beanie, he had a bike shop uptown in Manhattan and he would lock them in to rehearse because he didn't trust that they would steal everything, right? So he would <laughs> lock them in. And then when they would come out after rehearsal, they would, across the street, they'd see the sign, New York Doll Hospital. So he always had that name in his, in his head. And uh, so you got to think of like, these guys are kind of ragtag, like little rascals of rock, like New York Dolls. And Kiss was more, a little bit more science fiction and fantasy background. Like Gene had the fanzines and was interested in the horror movies. And so it kind of like that really affected the way the imagery of Kiss. And then once they got, once Kiss got uh, Sean and Bill, they just like encouraged this stuff. They took him to, you know, learn how to breathe fire. They took him to, you know, uh, get their stuff made professionally 
first at S&M shops and then by like Larry Legaspi and these designers, you know, so and Maria Contessa and these people that knew how to make this kind of like bondagey rock clothes. You couldn't go to a store and buy this stuff. You had to have it custom made. So that, that's the part of the West Village is like the bondage type stuff. Like what some of it branched off to be like the village people. Like Sean Delaney pretty much looked like he could be in the village people every day. <laughs> oh boy. Like it really, if you knew, and he was a very intense guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he really drove them. So I think all these elements together uh, with their like dreams and these people manifesting it for them and helping putting money behind it and believing in them, it really like catapulted them into like a national spotlight. Fine. It took them a long time to make it. You know, like the three albums really didn't do that great. And it's really odd that they started to get popular on the live album. Like that was, you know, but I think the thing of early days in New York with when there wasn't clubs, you just kind of had to make your own scene. And that's what they did. And they knew how to go where people were going to be and cool people who were going to dig them. And they got the attention they needed and they got visual people, people that were into visuals to work with them. And they were smart about what they did. They didn't just sign with some like lame regular record company. It wouldn't have happened for them. Even the labels they went with, Neil Bogart signed them. And Casablanca was supposed to be part of Warner Brothers. Well, they played a show for Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers said, we want them to take off their makeup. And he's like, no, he left the label and made Casablanca one of the biggest labels of all time. And then had P-Funk, Donna Summer, Village People, just buried every label. So, you know. When you got people that believe in what you do behind you like that, then it can really go far, you know? That's fantastic. And we are talking about the roots of KISS in New York City, early 70s with Tony Mann. You all know this band, the New York Dolls. Let's take a little bit of looking for a kiss here on Monco Radio where music and minds meet.
mama looking for a kiss When everyone's going to your house They'll shoot up in your room Most of them are beautiful But so obsessed with glue Just looking for a kiss And we are back in the kiss room. I'm talking to the great Tony man. Uh, one thing I mentioned at the start of the uh, episode here on the kiss room was I mentioned that you had recently been on the Decibel Geek podcast, which of course everybody knows and loves. And that is hosted by Chris Zinzak and Eric Camaro. And they also are the ones behind the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. And of course, they made a big announcement for what is really the greatest podcasting event of the year, that the next Nashville Rock and Pod Expo will be August 6, 7, and 8. So if you're if you're tuned into the Decibel Geek podcast, you probably already heard that. But what I really want you all to become familiar, go to Nashville Rock Letter N Pod Expo. So it's Nashville Rock and Pod Expo.com for all the details. And of course, you're going to want to follow them on Facebook because they are posting new guests and announcements like every day. It's super exciting. And I've been to every one of the Rock and Pod Expos, and it's fantastic. And I mean, even all ready you know here we are in february and they're already talking about they got ron keel they got tommy skio from tesla you got don jameson who of course everybody thinks of as that metal show you got jason beeler from saigon kick you got christopher williams from except he was at the rock and pod he actually brought peter chris's a 1996 drum kit i have a picture with it It was amazing nice you got um sandy Gennaro, who's actually a world famous drummer who he's been at monco everybody knows we broadcast from montgomery county community college he came and did a a, a mass class man the coolest guy he had some quotes and advice and stories that i think about all the time one of my favorites was he talked about uh you know when you when you don't see eye to eye with somebody you don't burn a bridge you just pull a shade put it put that shade down and that's boom they're right and i love that i think about that all the time and i, I have a drumstick he actually gave everybody drumsticks i have that in my office but he's gonna be there yeah gary corbett who of course kiss fans wow. know from his keyboard work with Kiss, but like Cinderella and all, he's got a million great stories. Um, the list goes on and on. I mean, and look, as Paul Stanley says, they are just getting started. It's, it's, it's really, it's fantastic. I'm thrilled just to be able to kind of talk it up. And I would say, obviously, it's February. We're talking the end of the summer. The world, who knows with what's everything is going on. We missed it last year. It was really a bummer to not see everybody's smiling face. But I want you all, if you're listening, put it on your calendar. Maybe make a, a plan now to just get in your car, hop on a plane, you know, get to Nashville. It's going to be at the Hilton at the Nashville airport. And let me tell you, people, it really has always been the event of the year. The last three ones, I keep saying this is Rock and Pod 4, back four more. But the first three were amazing. And anybody, if you listen to the Kiss Room or you listen to any of the great podcasts, you get to meet people in real life. People come from all over the, the planet to hang out at Rock and Pod. And it could not be more fun. Every year, it's great. And I really am hoping that the world kind of somehow is back in a place 
place where we're not wearing masks. Maybe everybody's got a vaccine. Look, there's a lot of whiskey, and that kills all the alcohol, right? It's Nashville, <laughs> so it's uh, it'll kill the virus with uh, with a couple shots of Jack. We whatever it takes. Let's all plan on that. So put it on your calendar. Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. It's August 6, 7, 8. It really is the most fun time. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the months to come as we lead up to it. Um, but again, just go to NashvilleRockandPodExpo.com. Find them on the Facebook page. I'll post it in the uh, in the Kiss Room Facebook, obviously. If you listen to the Kiss Room, you've heard me yammer on and on and on about it. We recorded live down there. We get to hang out with people, you know, from all over the planet. So to make a short story long, stay tuned. Lots happening with the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville this year, August 6th, 7th, 8th. How's that, Tone? <laughs> pretty good. We covered it. I, I love that Sandy Gennaro. What a great drummer, man. He, he played with Benny Mardonis into the night. You know, he actually he told us when he was at Monco and he did the master class, he told us this great story about Cindy Lauper and how they would do money changes, everything. And he's playing the ending and he's playing where he said it's like a callback, like she's going money, money. And he's going that, that, that. And he said, and he played us the video that's everybody knows from MTV. And he says, there's one beat that's off that always bother me, but I'm not going to tell you which one it is. <laughs> I don't know. I really enjoyed it. He was so positive when he had such positive messages. And it, you know, when you get somebody like that, who's really been around the world with music and he's so down to earth and hung out right in our studio and talked to the class, it, it's enjoyable. And, you know, that's the kind of thing with rock and pod. A lot of these people, they're very approachable. They walk right up, give you the time of day. I really, I can't say enough how much I enjoy it. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, I mean, it's like I said, it's a couple months off, but uh, we're all planning to go. Oh, very fun, man. And, and you got you and uh, the guys from Decibel Geek and all these people are, that's a good crew, man, right there. That's a, that, that's a fun time. Which, you know, we definitely we bring in, you know, a bunch of the good Kiss podcasts. That was one of the funny things, like Rock and Pod 1, the highlight of Rock and Pod 1 was really, you know, Ken Mills and Gary Schaller, oh, I had wow. been podcasting with for like, you know, eight years. Yeah. And they had never met. And I had never wow. met them. But we have been doing, and, and you figure it's funny, like now, I, you know, I used to do everything live in the studio. Now this kind of zoom to zoom talk that we're having now is kind of typical but think about that they had been podcasting together for about a decade and had never met wow to, to be there and see that kind of happen was really i mean i still think about that what a magic event that first rock and pod and, and every year really you know meeting people over the years that like you recognize them instantly from like their facebook page and it's like everybody's been best friends forever. And it, I mean, you you see them come up, and you you can recognize people, and it's like it's your Facebook life come to life, which I think is just amazing, you know, because it's people that a lot of the time I listen to a lot of the podcasts, it's voices that have been in your head for a long time. You know, oh my you've been gosh, yeah, the they, Podfather, they you kidding that. me? Right. And it's like all of a sudden there he is, or there's you know like Baco wow. and and LC from you know the Cobras and Fire, and you know Craig Craig Smith and uh, Eric Miller from the Pods and Sods. Who the funny thing is they live around here. I have to go to Nashville to meet them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love maybe, everybody. I mean, we maybe maybe you can meet him at you can meet him at PJs maybe. 
Exactly. You know, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we'll switch back off that topic. Rock and pod. It's going to be the greatest. I know we're kind of headed toward the top of the hour. Just pick one more song and then we're going to get into the kiss room house band. Oh, I love those guys. Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Kiss Room House Band. Those guys are great. Okay, so, all right. Uh, Master of Flash by Street Punk. It's John Montgomery. So this, Kiss fans know if they have the money for the vault. Because this showed up in Gene Simmons' vault. Yes, it did. And uh, what happened is, early on, uh, this was a band on the scene in New York that would play Diplomat Hotel, just like Kiss, on the bill with them, everything. Street Punk. And uh, you seen their name on the posters and all that? The lead singer was a very charismatic guy, John Montgomery. Uh, he was really loved around. He passed away not too long ago. Very, very wonderful guy. You can read an interview with him in uh, New York Rock. And uh, he wrote this song, Master of Flash. It was kind of fantasy, almost like his version of like a Ziggy Stardust-like character. And Gene really loved this song. Gene bought the song from him and never put it out on it kiss album or solo album or anything and then now it's on the vault and so you can see some clip of gene talking about it on youtube and talking about street punk a little bit you can check that out so we got this is master of flash we're going to take us into the top of the hour we might have already passed the top of the hour but it's my favorite part of the show here comes the kiss room house band right after this reset here on monco radio where music and minds meet
It's Gene Simmons. You're listening to The Kiss Room on Montco Radio, but you knew that. You wanted the best and you got it. The hottest man in the land, Matt Porter. It's the February Kiss Room, which means Valentine's Day is almost here. So we like to dedicate this song to all the wives of the Kiss Room House Band. This is She. Oh, 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 
saints off the clothes This next song was big in Australia.
dedicate this next song to my beautiful wife Marcy. The last line in the chorus is, you're everything to me, and that's what you are. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you. Now 
This next song may have love in the title, but it's definitely not a love song. Here's Save Your Love. You are my woman, and I was your man. You were good looking, you know I was your biggest fan. You tried to teach me things I already
This next song is about believing in yourself. You know, they say, before you can love someone else, you have to love yourself. Hey, Bobby Dreher, get your mind out of the gutter.
Now that was the Kiss from House Band. Shout out to them. You know it's my favorite part of the show. Tony, you were even you were you were even talking about Shandy earlier, and there they were doing it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny because you know, uh, it's funny that like at one point you got a Kiss song, Shandy. The only guy in Kiss playing on it is Paul Stanley. And you got, you know, Tom Harper playing bass, who was the roadie, and Holly Knight and Anton Fig, ladies and gentlemen, Kiss. <laughs> See, look at that. That's some that's some uh, synchronicity there. The fact that they threw that in there. Kiss from House Band, such a talented group, and I appreciate them every month. 
doing these sets despite the fact that next month it'll be a year that we have not been in the studio and coming up next month i am going to have a roundtable discussion with the kiss room house band about what it's been like during the lockdown as we kind of look back at a year spent separate and you know just it's crazy you know i i was lucky i even got to sing a song i got to do baby driver with them and then i realized how much jerry lee and all these guys work how much work they do because I produce albums too. So here he is having to like pump out all these versions, but they sound great and they're doing a great job. And uh, I want to sing another song with them guys. So wait, we have Jerry Lee Watkins, Fran Galante, Steve yep. Campagna, and Tony has a special request. What song you want to do? Dirty living. <laughs> Woo! All right. You heard it here, guys. We're going to make that part of the set coming All up. Right. I think, you know, it's great fun. I think when, you know, there's such talented people. And then when we can get people like you in there with them, you know, I, even my brother, I've managed to wrangle him in a couple times. He's and, amazing, you know, too. He's, has, he's having a good time. I'll tell you, he's all work. He basically goes from work to home. But uh, we're going to try and squeeze a little bit of rocking out of him. So it's, uh, okay. you know, he's uh, it's that would be great fun. So, look, we're having the best time. If you're listening to the Kiss Room here on Monaco Radio or you're listening as a podcast, I am joined by Tony Mann. We've been having a great time. I've been just as a listener enjoying your stories immensely, Tone. And oh, uh, we shared a bunch of great songs. We shared a bunch of great stories. We got some time left. Tell us, share us another story, Tone. Okay. So, um, you know, there was another uh, place where I used to go see bands as a kid. Uh, it was in New Jersey. It, and it was called A Joint in the Woods. Okay, this is a different era, okay? And uh, this was a club, but they didn't really seem to care if kids underage went there or not. So I saw some bands there, including T-Rex, you know, New York Dolls, Kiss. Kiss played there after the first album came out and whatnot. And another band that played there was called Another Pretty Face. Now, this was in the middle of the woods in Parsippany, New Jersey. It's where near they have Chilla Theater, that great convention. right. Killer Theater, where my band Electric Monster used to play, and then members of the Ramones would come out and sing with us, or Blue Oyster Cult, or somebody from Lost in Space, or whoever would be around and have these fun jams. And uh, anyway, but Parsippany, New Jersey, in the middle of the woods was this place, Joint in the Woods. And one of the bands I saw there was Another Pretty Face with the singer T. Roth, Terry Roth, okay? Now, they were a glam band, and a, lot, a big influence, like I said, on these bands in New York was the British... British glam bands like T-Rex, Slade, Sweet, all this stuff. And this band was like almost like they came out of England. But this guy, Terry Roth, took a wedding band and like made them become a glam band, basically, because he was so excited, you know, and he's a really cool cat. And uh, these guys would play in New York at like Gildersleeves and some of these other clubs. And uh, one, th- one thing of note about Another Pretty Face is that um, they, uh, they had at one time their drummer was Tico Torres, who was later in Bon Jovi, the drummer Bon He's a great drummer. And uh, the thing about them is that uh, Tico went to the auditions when Eric Carr auditioned for Kiss because Bobby McAdams was there filming it. I wish we can get this footage someday. Bobby McAdams, my friend, was there, you know, videotaping all the auditions for the drummer. And Eric, Eric got it. And Tico was one of the guys that day that auditioned. So that's wow. something. He's not on this recording, but he was in the band at one point. And this band made an album for RCA Records that got shelved. So this song was recorded with Ed Stasium, who produced the Ramones and other people like that. 
And uh, so it's a cool recording, but it didn't even come out at the time. We can hear it now. But like I said, people were dying to get their music out to the public. And uh, they made this album. It didn't come out till recent years. Another pretty face. So what this track that we're going to listen to, what year do you think this was recorded? 74. So we're taking you back in time into the roots of New York City's scene of rock with Tony Mann. This is another pretty face stuck on you. You're in the Kiss Room on Mako Radio where music and minds meet.
Army, we're back. That was another pretty face was stuck on you. We're talking to Tony Mann. We're running through the Kiss Room. We're having the best time ever. I want to give a couple shout-outs just while we're here. Um, shows that I that I listen to every week. You have, of course, The Electric Crush. Punk and Judy host a great show. It made me think about it when we were talking about Rock and Pod. I actually, we had the best time hanging out with them two years ago, 2019 in Nashville. So The Electric Crush is every Wednesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. on WMCK. You can find them on the TuneIn app the same way you find the Kiss Room. So obviously, Punk and Judy do a great show, and they are live. You're going to have the best time. They'll even take your requests. Find them on Facebook. Search for The Electric Crush. In between trains going by, they do the best show ever. you got to tune in for them. Um, the other show I definitely want to give a shout out, Mako Radio is running wild right now because the new semester has started and people are back and new students are starting and new shows are starting and your favorite shows keep going. And I definitely want to give a shout out. Saturday mornings got to tune in at nine o'clock for Candy's Kiss Corner because it's an hour of Kiss and Candy just fills the show with all great Kiss songs. So the same way you listen to Monco Radio, you can tune into Candy's Kiss Corner every Saturday at 9. And she's also debuted a new show called A Handful of Candy, which you can listen to Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Same thing, Monco Radio. And we just actually did, I was on her show this week um, talking about our favorite professional wrestling themes. Because not only are we big Kiss fans, but we're big wrestling fans. And I had the best time talking to her about wrestling. And there does there seems to be always a combination. People who love Kiss, a lot of them love wrestling. I think it's a 70s, it's an 80s thing. Um, you know, I think so many people that I meet, you know, Joe Polo, shout out to Podcast Rock City and those guys. Big wrestling fans in addition to being, uh, you know, big Kiss fans or... Even Completely Damaged is another show on Monaco Radio. It's 10 o'clock on Monday mornings, but you can find it as a podcast. RC is the host of that, and he's been getting all kind of people. He just had Gilberg on. That was a great interview. He's interviewed uh, the ring announcer from Ring of Honor, which is uh, Ian Riccoboni. It was, it's great to get inside with these people and, and kind of talking. So that's another show. So check MoncoRadio.com for a full schedule. Get all your favorite shows. People, I want you to be entertained 24-7. We're doing the best we can. Um, the other, I want to give a shout out, Let It Rip podcast just had Lydia Chris, a two-part interview with Lydia Chris. Those guys are making moves. Their podcast sounds great. Their Facebook group is blowing up and a super fun. I know, I know, you know, Lydia Chris, she's your friend. Oh yeah. And I heard that podcast and it was good. And, uh, Hey Lydia and, uh, Richie Fontana, you guys know Richie Fontana was a drummer on Paul Stanley solo album and, I saw him open for Kiss when he was in Piper at Madison Square Garden. See, it's amazing. I mean, you've seen everybody, you've done it all. And we and and so really Ron Jones, Mike Moon, those of you that are listening to the Let It Rip podcast. Of course, we mentioned earlier Decibel Geek Podcast. Tony were just on there. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoy listening to all these podcasts. That's why we mentioned the rock and pod. Uh, I, I love all these different shows. If I didn't mention you, it's not because I don't love you. It's just because there's only so many hours in the day, and I'm not that smart, so I don't remember anything <laughs> when we're sitting there recording. Got out of um, the cannon. <laughs> shot out of a cannon. You know what? Also, Hannah Rog, she said to say hello, Tony, a good friend oh, hey, of yours. Rog one. I, I wanted to mention one more thing about uh, New York Dolls and Lydia and everything. I kind of forgot earlier, but uh, like I said, New York Dolls was 
started by Sylvain and Billy Marcia, this drummer from Columbia. Well, they went to go play, like I said, open for the faces at Wembley in England. They didn't even have a record deal. Well, they got in some crazy parties and got separated. The drummer, Billy Marcia, OD'd and he died in England. These guys are oh. teenagers, right? Well, when they came back, they had to keep going and uh, they needed a new drummer. Peter Chris is one of the guys who auditioned. So is Mark Bell, who became Marky Ramon. But, but who they took was Jerry Nolan, who was a childhood friend of Peter Chris. And so Buddy Bowser, who was also a childhood friend of Peter Chris and, and a friend of Lydia's and a friend of mine who I've performed with, is a great sax player. He played on the first New York Dolls record. He played the sax. And uh, he's like a, a rocking, cool guy. He, he really pushed for them to take Jerry Nolan as a drummer. But if you look in Lydia's great book, Sealed with a Kiss, you'll see pictures of Jerry Nolan of the New York Dolls and Buddy Bowser playing at Peter and Lydia's wedding. And as you guys probably know, or if you don't know, Peter Chris and Jerry Nolan were really tight as kids. And they grew up drumming together, going to see Gene Krupa together. Peter eventually opened shows for, for Gene Krupa. So this is a big Kiss connection between Kiss and the Dolls is Jerry and Peter. And their friendship kind of dissolved once Kiss took off, to be honest. And there was... These guys were into like really hard drugs, even at an early age, and it's pretty awful. And uh, you know, we're lucky some of these people are still are still with us. And I think that uh, to see where these guys came out of, and then see what happened to them later, is amazing. Because who knew a few years later that was like 1970? Peter and Lydia got married. So you know, a few years later, a couple of years later, only Kiss had a record deal was huge. So pretty, look in her book and see these great pictures of those guys as kids. Yeah, of course, anybody who's tuned into the Kiss Room, I know that you're aware of Lydia's book, Sealed with a Kiss. If you haven't gotten it, you really need to get it. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, exactly what you're talking about. I can picture in my mind those photos that are like stuff that is like from the 70s, you know, really almost pre-Kiss, a lot of that stuff. And oh, she's yeah. got all of it. And it's just like it, it is you know, if you listen to Ron and Mike's interview with her, you know, we've had Lydia on the Kiss Room a couple times, which has been fantastic. And But her book really is amazing. I mean, everybody needs to get a copy of that. Yeah, she kept everything and, like, listed every show Peter even did. Even when he was in Kiss, he kept doing some random, like, rock and roll shows with this greaser kind of band for a while, too. It's really wild. And she kept everything, these great photos. It takes you right back there. And then when you see those photos, the early Kiss photos and pre-Kiss photos, that's what I'm talking about. Like when I was a kid and this stuff was just growing and happening, you can kind of catch some of the vibe and the excitement of they were trying to find latch on to something that would make them stars, you know, basically. And they did it. They absolutely did it. And we've had a great time. I really appreciate you, Tony, coming on and sharing these. Do you want to pick one last song to kind of wrap it up with? I mean, something that... Uh... You know, kind of. Uh, okay, so going out, uh, you know, Leslie West of Mountain passed away recently. And, you know, Richie Scarlett's a friend I've performed with. And uh, so Theme from an Imaginary Western is a song by Mountain, which was a great, great rock and roll band. You probably know Mississippi Queen. I'm sure you know Mississippi Queen. But Theme from an Imaginary Western very much influenced Going Blind. Uh, and Gene was a big fan of these guys. The bass player, Felix Papillardi, is related by marriage to Bob McAdams. So there's a lot of connections with Mountain. They were a huge and very influential band. And uh, when you hear this song, if you haven't heard it before, 
you know, you can see how it influenced Going Blind, which is a, which is also a great tune. So I'd like to send that out there. You know, what's actually really funny is when you think about it, even the Kiss connections. I mean, obviously, everybody on the planet knows Mississippi Queen. That song yeah. is the one. But then the second song on that mountain climbing album is Never In My Life, which yep. Ace just did a cover of. There you go. And then the third song is theme for an imaginary Western, Great. which is really, it, and it's really, I have to say as much as Mississippi queen was really kind of my introduction, obviously to mountain theme for an imaginary Western was really one of my introductions to them because I remember on Howard Stern, they did that. They did it live via like a phone, like Leslie West is playing the solo right. over the phone. I remember that. It, was, it was so magical and yeah. this song is the the guitar solos on this song yeah. are amazing and they like are. it's it's a it really is it's it's a a uh, kind of a crash course in it's not how many notes it's playing the exact right notes and this song will do it for you and i want you all to tune in and turn this way up oh, yeah. in the kiss room on Monaco radio where music and minds meet
Kiss Army, we are just about out of time. I have really enjoyed this conversation with Tony, man. Tony, thank you for spending time with me again here in the Kiss Room. Thank you, Matt. I love you guys. I love the Kiss Room. Matt, you're the best. You're the most upbeat. Definitely put a smile on everybody's face during these hard times. And look forward to listening to the Kiss Room and just forget about all this nonsense that's going on. Get into the music. You know, if I can put a smile on anybody's face during what has been the weirdest year ever, that's oh what God. I'm here for. Any any kind of last minute shout outs, anything else like that you want to promote? I mean, obviously everybody could get the New York Rocks book. Yeah. Um, you know, Boss things like Rockers. that. They're all available on Amazon or is there a website that you want to promote or? No, I'm just, you know, I'm up to a lot and you'll be hearing all about it soon and I'll let you know. I have been recording recently with Bob McAdams and Mike Golden and uh, Jimmy Coons from Cactus and Humble Pie. Humble Pie is a band that was very influential to Kiss as well. Like rocking at the Fillmore East, forget it. That's very influential to Paul Stanley. But Jimmy Coons is a great singer, Cactus, and uh, he's fantastic. And we've been recording with him and we called the band The Miscreants. So maybe I'll send you some track by that band. And uh, I've been producing a guy named Phil Gamage. Check out his music. I'm working with... uh, who else? No Valentine, Soul Cake, uh, Carrie Abel. I'm producing a lot lately, so I can do a lot of it from here, so it's good. And uh, everybody just stay safe, and uh, I hope to see you down at Monco again someday and face-to-face in real life. We can go to PJs and have fun. You know that as soon as we're able, there's always a chair waiting for you, so we'll have a good time, pal. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Tony, thanks for taking time. Thanks to everybody who's tuned into the Kiss Room and listening to Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. You have been one hell of an audience tonight. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? i tell you something. You know, a lot of bands like to brag about their fans. Now, naturally, you better believe we brag about you, but we want you to know something. We want you to know, we know that you are our fans, but don't you ever forget, we are your fans! We love you! Thank you for listening to The Kiss Room. Stay tuned to Montco Radio. Any last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations? No, but I will say something to anybody out there that's you know, the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody will let you give you the chance to make a living out of it. You just stick to it. You'd be weird. <laughs>